So far, so good. Um, can you turn the lights down just a little bit? Yeah. I don't have a clue who's in this room right now. <laughs> okay, so um, I want to talk about uh, some things of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit operates, and um, some of the things that he does and how he does it. And um, interestingly, I've had some very, very good conversations just in the last week that are all completely disconnected from each other. They're, uh, it's not, um, but they're all about the same thing and about some, some stuff. In, in fact, two of these discussion, two of these uh, conversations I've had, we've discussed in our, um, in our staff meeting Monday, and then I have these conversations, um, a couple of them through the week, and uh, one last week. So, Things of how the Holy Spirit works and what he does and how, how he's trying to do things. And I want to focus in, I want to make sure we get to this part, we're, so we're going to do this first, and then we can broaden it out a little bit, but I want to make sure we get to this. Um, how the Holy Spirit speaks to you. How do you know the Holy Spirit is speaking to you? What does that look like, feel like, sound like, all of those kind of things. And so, I want to, I want to uh, use some scriptures to get us going different directions with this. So, who, I need somebody to read some stuff for me. Okay, um, Acts chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. And Christine, Acts chapter 8, verse 29. Who else? Um, Acts 15, 28. Did I see a hand over here, Paul? Acts 16, 6 through 10. And um, that one we're going to kind of, um, we're going to kind of break that one down a little bit, Paul. So I may have you stop. No, but I'll let you know when we get there. And that's, that's all I got right now. But I am going to do, well, uh, you'll see. You'll come up with other stuff as we, dis, as we discuss this. So uh, we're going to read these first, and then we're going to, um, I want you to be thinking about times in Scripture, specifically New Testament. I, I thought about going a bunch over these in uh, the Old Testament, like when God spoke to Abraham and but some of the things in the Old Testament is difficult to know for sure whether God spoke audibly or didn't speak audibly. I mean, I, I have ideas about that, and I have suppositions and posits that I make on those kind of things. But I want to I keep it very clear, uh, so we'll stay in the New Testament with this, very clear that, um, that this, when it says, you know, the Holy Spirit said to them, or, or whatever the case is, okay, and we want to break those down and analyze those a little bit. Okay, so, uh, first one, Nikki, did you get that one? Acts 10, 9 and 10. Okay, now, <clears throat> what happens, there's like four or five major things that happen. You get, did you guys, who did not, did anybody not hear what she was reading? Okay, this story of Cornelius, Peter goes up on the house rooftop, and what happens? How are some ways that God speaks to Peter during this moment, during this time? Okay, again, why did he go up there? Why did he go up onto the rooftop? To pray. Okay, that's a very important starting point for this, although I don't think you have to be praying for God to speak to you, but if you're really needing God to speak to you, I would think that would be a starting point. Right? Get into the conversation with him. Um, I, um, I had a conversation with a couple of ones. It was years ago. 
And they were talking about how they, uh, they don't communicate. Both of them were upset because they felt like the other one wasn't communicating. It was all of them, you know, and then, of course, both of them had the same thing. And so I began to ask them different questions. They slept in different rooms. They, um, they had different bank accounts. They had, I mean, you, they had two separate lives in the same house, completely in the same. And I, I told him, I said, I, you know, I'm not like a genius, but I can fix some of this right now. Just get in the same room with each other. Start with that. Um, that's the kind of the concept when it comes to God is, if we want him to speak to us, get in the, let's get in, the, in where he is, okay? So what are the things that happen? Peter's up on the rooftop praying. What happens? Okay, it's some kind of uh, trance vision. I mean, that's the way Scripture describes it. Is um, it's hard to say whether he, if somebody else would have been, let me say it that way, if somebody else would have been standing there, it would be hard to say that they would have seen the same thing that Peter was seeing. To me, that's what that means um, when when I think the King James says. He falls into a trance. Okay? So then what happens? Huh? Okay, sky open. What, comes, what, what happens when the sky opens? A big sheet comes down with what in it? One word. Bacon. A sheet comes down with bacon in it. Right? You can't argue against that. You know I'm right. I'm sure there was other stuff in there too. But uh, isn't, that, isn't that basically what happens is for, for a few thousand years, they had been going by the same basic dietary laws. And, uh, and now God is saying, any of these animals in here, you can eat them. In fact, it doesn't say you can. He says, do it. Eat them. Take and eat. But there's something else that, that uh, God is saying at that moment too. He's not just talking about eating animals. That's what he's, and how do we know that that's actually the focus, even though he does give them permission to eat the animals? How do we know that the gospel going to other peoples is actually the intention? He could eat with the Gentiles, and immediately upon having this revelation, I can now eat anything, which means eat with the Gentiles. I don't know if Peter probably got that immediately. Maybe, you know, I'm saying... It would be hard-pressed for me to think that, that a Jew had been, you know, can't eat with the Gentiles, can't even go in their house or anything. God says, now you can eat and everything. I, I don't know if his mind immediately with, was like, oh, I can go eat with Fred now. <laughs> you know, I, I, it's not just Ben Rubin that I can go eat with, but I now can eat with Fred. So, but that's basically what he was saying also. Then, immediately, he gets called to go, God shows him to go to Cornelius' house. That's how we know that the actual focus of this and the intention of this was, yes, dietary, but it was also to the Gentiles, okay? So, um, and, all right, let me, let me back up a little bit. How, do, how is Peter told to go to Cornelius' house? Okay, the Holy Spirit tells him. The Spirit of the Lord tells him. Um, it's some some uh, translations even say it was like an angel, right? Uh, 
But the Spirit of the Lord really is what it's saying there. The Spirit of the Lord tells him, okay, now go to Cornelius' house. So now let's break down. There's, there's a few ways that the Holy Spirit is interacting with this and revelation and God talking to him and all this other kind of stuff. So first thing is a trance, right? He, he, he goes to some kind of afternoon sleep, but it doesn't say he went to sleep. And it, and it would have if that's what he had done. And then it would have said he had a dream or something. But, it's, but it literally talks about he has this, this um, uh, trance-like state that he has a vision. Okay? A vision is, the word vision is used in uh, some of the translations too. So that's the first way that God speaks to him is the vision. Now, again, he's praying. God speaks to him in a trance-like trance state vision. And then it says that the, that the Holy Spirit told him. Okay. It it could have just said, and then he the same voice because we he, we see where God's speaking to him, like when the sheet comes down, it's like God speaking from heaven almost. I mean, and that's the way it seems to be. Then it says how the Holy Spirit speaks to him and tells him to go to Cornelius's house. So it appears to be a different thing. And I would even say that he comes out of the trance because that moment is now a different moment, and now the Holy Spirit is telling him. Go to Cornelius' house. Okay, uh, let's go to well, let's go to uh, the second scripture, Acts chapter eight. Yeah. Okay, Philip, you guys remember what was Philip doing before the Holy Spirit says, "Go hang out with this chariot." He's walking along the road. Um, doesn't know for sure where he's going. Holy Spirit just said, "I want you to go out here." wherever there was, right? What was he doing before that? Nope. That was Jonah. That's a whole other. He was preaching. And, and literally hundreds and hundreds of people were coming to get saved, getting healed. This was a, a very powerful movement. This is always one of those places in Scripture where it's, it's very interesting to me because it's exactly the opposite of the way we look at things in American church. There's, there's no way um, the, the average American preacher, pastor, evangelist kind of person is going to leave crowds of thousands coming to his services and go out into the wilderness to meet with one guy. Right? There's no offerings out there. There's no big crowds. There's none of that kind of stuff. The Holy Spirit... Th this is one of the things that, that really gets a... a uh, uh, to, to me is very, in fact, this is one of the main reasons I believe that Luke writes the book of Acts, is to highlight this kind of moment. Because who was Philip before he began to preach? Anybody know? Just a guy in the church. We don't necessarily know what he did for a living, but he was just a guy in the church and they need some people to take care of, uh, like, logistics, administrative type stuff, take care of the feeding of people and things like that. And so they start voting some guys in, and they, it's the first time we would use, what we would use today would be the term deacon, but they would use the term um, uh, bishop, would be the Greek term for that. And this is just a guy in the church. This is, this is just a guy in the church that begins to tell people about Jesus, and all of a sudden people are getting healed and saved like crazy. Then the Holy Spirit says, Philip, I want you to go out to this place. And so he does it. Leaves all that stuff behind. Goes out to this. And by the way, when it's all said and done, 
After he witnesses to the Ethiopian eunuch, the guy gets saved, gets baptized in water. Then what does God do with Philip? Right. And, and it's interesting. He transports him to a different place than he was originally. He didn't transport him back to the place where the, the, the great move of God revival was happening. He takes him somewhere else. I, would just, I just think this whole story is... I think it's like one of the bigger stories in the, in the book of Acts... And we just kind of, like, it's just like a few sentences you read it. He actually gets transported, like Star Trek. I, yeah. I, this, is, this is one of those things where you're like, okay, God, well, okay, in the big picture, God can do anything. That's how simple it is. And here's another thing. I'm going to go off it. I don't have any theological basis behind this. I just, I just think. I think God probably does that every now and then in different times and then and stuff like that. We just don't have record of it. Now, why do I think that? Because God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does, he's a God that does not change. So if he can transport somebody then, why can't he do it at a different time? Plus, everybody's heard the stories of somebody that picks a hitchhiker up, right? And then they're sitting in the back seat or the front or whatever, and they begin to tell them about Jesus, and they accept Jesus, and then the, they disappear, right? Anybody ever? I don't know if those are true, but I've heard a couple of them from people that I know are legitimate people. They're not fruitcakes. And so I don't know. I just know if God's done it once, it sets a, a pattern, and he can do it again. It's, it's, it, see, this is one of the things. When God does something, it's not what he does. It's who he is. God doesn't do something outside of his nature. It's who he is. When he heals somebody, it's who he is. When he blesses somebody, it's who he is. Now, why is that important for us as Christians right now today? Okay, but here would be, the, to me, the, the next few sentences after that would be, yeah, we don't see much of this stuff today, but if it's who he is, it's not because God's different. It's us. We're what's different. We're, the, we're missing some things, and we'll probably go into that a little bit after we get through the next scripture. But So, it's who God is. So, how does God speak to Philip through all of this? Okay. When he's talking to the Ethiopian eunuch, he's just walking him right down through scripture. God's speaking to Philip and to the Ethiopian straight through uh, scripture. Um, God, the Holy Spirit, best we can tell, prompts. Uh, Philip to go out there? It doesn't, it's not a, an Acts 9, 10, 11. It's not like the heavens open, a sheet comes down, all this. Just the Holy Spirit is now prompting him to go out there. It, do, it doesn't say anything about him going into a trance or any of this kind of stuff. Right? Okay? So, an angel of the Lord, what does that mean in, in, well, let's just stay with the New Testament. It actually means a little different in the Old Testament. Let's stay with the New Testament. What does angel of the Lord usually mean? And that would be more Old Testament. I would say in, in the Old Testament, when you see angel of the Lord, there's times when it is specifically Jesus that it's referencing. It's not talking about an angel the way that we think of a created being angel. Um, it's actually Jesus. But in the New Testament, you got Jesus, so it's, it's not usually talking about Jesus. Jesus is talking about basically two things. The Holy Spirit or... An angel. Those are, the, those are the two options. 
In the Old Testament, it's mostly Jesus that it's talking about when it says the angel of the Lord or the spirit of the Lord, um, which would actually be the Holy Spirit or Jesus, depending. You have to read the context when, you, when you're looking at that, okay? So now this is a whole other way that God speaks, and we see completely different results, all the different things that are going on. Who, who, who was uh, the next one? Was Mark? Oh, you had. Okay, Acts 15, 28. good to us in the Holy Spirit. This is, this is a statement that I probably, I'm saying internally, I don't necessarily think I say it all that often, but internally this is one of the stronger, for me, not stronger, but the more common sentence that I process when I'm thinking about the Holy Spirit saying something. Sing good to us in the Holy Spirit. This, this is a huge statement because it does not appear it's not as strong as a sheet lowered down from heaven and he goes into a trance, right? Um, this is, when, when I'm looking at um, leadership and I'm looking at board members and things like that, this is the way that I process uh, board meetings and things, is we as a board are going to do the best we can to get the right answers at the right time. We're going to do the very best that we can. Um, but we're going to make mistakes along the way. It's... it's it's going to happen. Why, why are we going to make mistakes along the way? Um, I was wanting somebody to say because Paul's on the board, but uh, all right, whatever. So, um, because we're humans. <laughs> it, it, because we're humans, we're going to make mistakes along the way. But this is where the statement in, in the book of Acts here, I think, is a powerful statement. It seemed good to us in the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is one of the things, you guys have heard me talk about this before, um, when it comes to uh, our, our leadership, our board, um, with our pastors, all these things would fall into this same category. Uh, I, don't, I don't let people use what I call as the, um, the God card. You guys know what I mean by the God card? Somebody tell me what I mean by that. God told me. How do you argue with that? How do you argue with God told me? Right. Now, now, you know, I, I've wanted to say, because I've had people do that to me at different times. I've, I've wanted to say this, but it's, it's not a right thing to say. But in my head, this is the first thing that pops in my head when, when somebody starts saying, I'm not saying like somebody comes up and says, God was telling me this. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying like a meeting where there's confrontation or something and somebody says, God told me. My first thought was, I want to say at that moment, well, God told me to whoop your rear. Can we both be right? Because the answer could be yes. God told you this, but you're about to get a whooping because of it, right? Because that's what, to me, that's what the God card is, what I call a God trump card is. You're, you're not allowed to throw that card down. Now, there are certain times in your life when you have to do that. You have to say, God told me. I've done that a couple of times, a few more times than that, over the years in ministry. But not very often. Not very often at all. In fact, it's interesting when, I'm, when I hear people talk regularly about, well, God told me, God told me, God told me. I, in my head, with the way I see this is, I, I, I would use terminology like, I felt strongly that God was trying to tell me something. I was impressed by the Lord. But to just say God told me, I think about 
I heard a comedian, I think, say this, or somebody say this one time, and it's always stuck in my head. You remember alphabets, the cereal? I don't even know if it exists anymore. But it's like they're eating alphabets every morning, and all of a sudden God spells out what he wants them to do in the alphabets. That's the mental picture that I get. I'm not, I don't think God speaks that strongly. At least he doesn't to me. And I would say there's nobody in this room that is pursuing God's voice more than I am. I think, I think I'm pursuing just like everybody else is, so... Pat. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because I also have really felt uh, impressed by the Lord at different times, and, and I got it wrong. And I've even seen this with like a, a board, although it's not as common when you add more people to the mix and you know that, that we're all trying to seek God, we're all trying to follow God, different personalities, different directions, all that kind of stuff, but when you're really trying to serve God, that it seems good to us and the Holy Spirit has a very stronger um, connotation to it. To me, it, it pushes it stronger. Because it's not that it seemed good to me and everybody else was coming along. It was, it seemed good to all of us. And, and, and here's the big one. And the Holy Spirit. Right? And so again, that goes back to what Peter's experience. I think that has to be a prayerful, prayerful attitude, a, a right attitude kind of thing. It seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. Now, again, this doesn't seem as strong as some of these other examples. It seems a little bit uh, more maneuverable. It seems, okay, we're doing the best we can. We hope we're getting this right. Now, I have had God speak to me very strongly um, different times in my life, very, very strongly. And there was no doubt whatsoever uh, that God did that. The first, two the first two times that I felt very strongly that God spoke to me, the first time I had to look back over years to really understand it. I didn't understand at the time. I was eight years old. I felt like God called me to ministry. Now, I've, I've had that discussed in so many different ways under so many different circumstances. An eight-year-old doesn't have a clue what that means. I didn't understand what that meant. And even when I look back at it, I remember it happening, and I remember the moment and everything, but... but I have 40 years added to that. That sounds like a lot now to say that loud. I have 40 years added to that to contextualize that. So now, when you say to me, you felt like you were called to ministry at eight years old, yes. And I can confirm it much stronger, and all the details have been added in for 40 years, so I have a context for all of that. But as an eight-year-old, if you would have told me the next 40 years, I would have said, mm-mm. There's no way I'm doing that. There's no way I'm going to let my life be that. Okay? But I felt very strong. The very next time that I knew that God spoke to me, and this one was, this was literally like a voice in my head. I, I, I literally thought somebody was standing beside me saying it to my ear. That's how, it, that's how it sounded. That's how it felt. In fact, I looked sideways at the time because I thought somebody was standing there and it said something to me. So as best as I can tell, it was an audible voice. Now, that was um, 31 years ago. Now, it's hard for me to understand what that sounded like because I have too much other context added to it that's 
I watered it down a little bit. I don't know how to say it. It doesn't sound right to say it that way. Because I knew, I still feel very strongly about this today. But I was standing, I was 17 years old. I was standing um, in, a, in a big courtyard at a youth camp between my junior and senior year of high school. I, I turned 17 that week. And I saw Linda walking across the courtyard. I didn't know her name, didn't know anything about her. I'd never met her. This is the first time I ever laid eyes on her. And to this day, I can tell you what she was wearing. I can tell you how her hair was done, specifically her hair. That caught my attention. This was 1987 in Texas. Even though it was youth camp, that didn't matter. You still had a couple cans, hairspray, all that. So, <clears throat> but she was walking across there, across the courtyard. And there wasn't a reason for this to happen to me. Because I, I had a girlfriend at that camp. So I don't want to go down that road, just let's move on with this, okay? But there was no reason for this to have been in my mind and heart at this time, okay? I saw her walking across the courtyard, and just as plain as day, I heard a voice say, that's going to be your wife. Now, as a 16, turning 17-year-old, that's, that's not good news. <laughs> right? I mean, she was... I, 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 very, very pretty. I mean, I was attracted to her on so many different levels. But as a 16 turn 17, you don't want to, you're not thinking marriage and things like that. It literally, it, that would never have come into my mind. I, never, I wasn't thinking those directions. And then she walked up. I, I don't, this isn't part of the story. That was really, but you want to know the rest of it, probably? So, so, um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to tell you anyway. So she, she walks up to me and her, and her good friend, her best friend at the time, who I'm, we're friends with him on Facebook, my, one of my best friends, it was his brother. I didn't know him then. I didn't, his brother didn't become my best friend for three years. I didn't even meet his brother at that camp. So, but she walks up with this other girl. She walks right up to us and a couple of us stand there. She walks up and she just stands there. And then she looks at me and she says, hey, what's your name? She had a way worse accent back in the... But it was the first thing that I thought to myself. That is the sexiest voice I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> because it's got, I don't hear it nowadays, but it's, it's got that raspiness. Do you guys hear that when she talks? It's got a lower raspy tone to it. And uh, maybe because she'd been yelling at camp all week too, maybe that contributed to it. But, but I know God spoke to me. I know I can't... The, the very next time I saw her after that camp was a year plus later. And I got out of boot camp, and I show up at a college, and she's standing. This is a year and two, three months later. She's standing in a room. I walk into the room at this college. She's standing there. I didn't know this was her hometown. I didn't know any of this. And I walk into that room, and that same thing, I remember hearing that voice. I, stand, I step into the room. I don't see anybody else. I see her standing way across the room. And immediately, that same voice, that's going to be your wife. That freaked me out. That really freaked me out. Guys, I, I know, here, here's a couple basic things. You hear me say this. You hear me talk about this. But we've got to know this. God wants to speak to you. God wants to speak to you. He does. He wants to tell you things. He wants to tell you big things. He wants to tell you small things. 
He wants to lead you through the day. And I, don't, I really don't think that most of the time it's like a sheet. or I think most of the time it's, it seemed good to us in the Holy Spirit. Right? I think that's most of the time. You're praying and, and you just feel strongly about this. Let, let's read the... Uh, Paul left. So did, you, did I give it to you? I think Paul left. Yeah. Paul's not sitting over there, is he? Okay, Acts 16, verse 6 through 10. Okay, stop right there before we move on. Okay, so what, what happens here? What is the Holy Spirit telling Paul? Don't go to that city and preach about me in that city. Now, that throws me off because to me that seems counter to God's nature, right? Go into all the world. It doesn't... It doesn't have a caveat on there. It says, go into all the world unless I tell you otherwise. It's just going to all the world. But now, and, and I believe one of the reasons that this is in the Scripture is because we need to know that sometimes God says, don't go to that place or that location. And, and it may not, it's not like that place is off limits forever. There, there's just a reason why you shouldn't do that, why you can't do that. Okay? So we'll unpack that more in a second. So continue on, Marcus. Okay, now we have the exact opposite, right? First he says, don't go to um, this location, but I want you to go to this location. Now, how does God tell Paul to go to Macedonia? What? Vision? Um, it it, it kind of seems like it doesn't have the same kind of verbiage as Peter going into a trance, right? It doesn't seem like that. It seems more like a dream. The best that we can tell. Okay? Vision, but it's that night God gave him a vision, so it could be a dream. Except for this is the only thing for me. I like to, to be as um, theologically exacting as possible. I really think if it was a dream in the purest sense of a dream, it would have said dream. Because when Peter quotes Joel... He uses both vision and dream, and they're not the same, okay? And he does use the word vision here, so it appears, if I'm going to have to go one way or the other, I'm going to say vision, although it does appear because it says that night or whatever, it could be a dream kind of thing, but um, I would have to lean toward vision. Now, um, this is an interesting thing that I think happens to us more than we think it does. Again, you've heard me say this before. I really believe that God speaks to us in dreams and visions. Scripture says he's going to and says it's what he does. Quotes it out of Joel. Peter says this is the time frame that he's talking about. All right? That uh, you have dreams and visions. Here's the thing that I have experienced this, and some of you may have experienced this, and you will not have known how to verbalize this. And interestingly, I'd had a conversation um, Sunday night about this, and then um, 
Josh came in and talked to me um, yesterday, today, maybe today, I can't remember, but and said that he thinks he had a dream the other night, but in the dream he was prophesying to himself. In the dream. It was very clear. He told me what, what he said. And he said that he actually woke up and he was saying it out loud. He said, what do you do with that? And I said, okay, let's analyze that. What does God want to do? I already said this. God wants to speak to you. How is he going to do He's going to do it in dreams and visions. See, oftentimes when we think of God speaking to us in dreams, we think that we have a dream and that story is how God speaks to us is whatever we dream is what he speaks to us. Are you following me? Okay. If I dream I'm running along the road and God's trying to speak to me about running because I'm running along the road, right? Whatever. But I also believe that God speaks to us in dreams. This is not the same thing as God speaking to us with a dream. Okay? And this is actually more common in Scripture than the idea of us having a dream and God speaking to us with the context of the dream. Actually speaking to us in the dream is, is a lot more scripturally accurate and more often than the idea of just a dream speaking to us. So you're in a dream, and God begins to speak to you in that moment. All right? This is how I think some of the things, like um, when uh, John is, is um, describing some of the stuff of how he interacts with the angels in writing the book of Revelation. It seems to be more like this kind of thing, where um, God takes him somewhere in a bodily sense, but it doesn't seem like that he actually leaves a place of physicality to do it. I don't know how if I'm describing this properly, but it would be like if I went to sleep right here, but I know that God took me somewhere and showed me something while I was dreaming, and he's speaking to me in the dream. I'm dreaming, but he is speaking to me specifically in that dream. And there's many times in looking at scripture, um, praying about things where God shows me stuff that way. And I will wake up and I'll talk to Linda about that, which she does not like for the most part. Because um, it's like three in the morning, Linda, are you awake? And you, you got to ask like three or four times with her because she sleeps deep. Linda, are you awake? And finally she's like, what? Oh, you're awake. I need to tell you something. So so I'll tell her, okay, this is what I was just thinking or, or whatever. And uh, usually she's asleep before I get through a few sentences, and now she's snoring. But I'm still talking out loud to her, so it works for me. But, uh, but to be able to describe that, here's something that I've done. This is the way I used to do it. I do it a different way now. This is the way I used to do it. I used to keep a pad of paper and a pen by my bed for two basic reasons. One is I read the Bible at night before I go to sleep. I'm just reading, reading, and all of a sudden, boom, some things start happening. I start writing stuff down, okay? If, if I don't have that paper and pen by my bed, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to forget, but I'm not going to get up and get a pen and paper because I'm not going to. It's cold out there. And so I'll like, you know, I'm going to remember that. I'm going to remember that. I'm not going to remember that. So I, I used to keep a pad of paper and a pen by my bed. I do it differently now. What do, I, what do you think I do now? I got my phone. And I type into my phone. And I'll type, I'll type a bunch of stuff going on at that time. You know, this is what it, Now, 
That's when I'm reading scripture. But there's another reason I do that because many times in the middle of the night, I'll wake up and I'll, be, I'll have been dreaming about something. I know that God is trying to tell me something. And sometimes when you're dreaming, it can be a little convoluted. So it's important to get as much of the thought process down as you can at that moment. Um, and sometimes I'll even say it out loud as I'm typing it in because uh, saying it out loud, at least for me, I don't know how everybody else operates here, but saying it out loud for me clears the cobwebs because sometimes it sounds real stupid when I begin to say it out loud and I realize this isn't God, right? Um, and so I, I'll, uh, I'll write things down on my phone. Guys, I, again, I'm going to say this. Many times in the future, I know God wants to speak to you. I know he does. And here's the cool thing about the book of Acts is God is speaking to people that would not have been qualified according to the religious rules of the day to have been spoken to. Philip is one of those. Philip was not um, an apostle. He wasn't one of the church leaders or any of that kind of stuff. But God speaks to him. So Peter, we could put Peter in the category of being qualified to speak to him. When Peter is heading to, to getting ready to go to Cornelius' house, who meets him as he walks out his door? Anybody got an idea? He sent from Cornelius. Two messengers sent from Cornelius. Because why? God was speaking to Peter, a qualified apostle, allowed authority, spiritual authority, whatever, to be spoken to according to the religious rules of the day. But Cornelius was not. He had nothing that would qualify him to be spoken to by God. In fact, this is one of the debates that when we get to the next chapter, and Peter repeats the story all over again to the church leadership, this is why he has to repeat it to the church leadership. Because they're struggling with the idea that God would speak to Cornelius. So how does Peter convince him? Peter says a couple of sentences that convince him. How does he convince him that God spoke to Cornelius? It's a, it's a roundabout way of convincing him of this. In our thinking, what he is saying is Cornelius got saved. But that's not what he says. He said Cornelius and his entire household spoke in tongues which is not getting saved. Okay, now there are certain groups, United Pentecostal groups, oneness groups that believe that, that getting saved and uh, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, are the same thing. In fact, they would say you can't be saved unless you speak in tongues. Obviously, we don't believe that. They're not the same thing. This is, this is, I, I talked about this this last Sunday night at my house during the journey. Uh, we believe in something called separate and subsequent. We believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is separate than salvation. It's a subsequent to it. Okay? It's not, the, it's not the same thing. Holy Spirit enters into your life at salvation, but the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is not the same thing. Okay? So when, when, and, we, and we understand that's what Luke was teaching. So when Luke, the one who establishes the concept of the theology of separate and subsequent in writing the book of Acts, when he quotes Peter, and Peter says, well, here's what I know. Cornelius is an entire household uh, spoken tongues. What does that tell us? That Luke is saying, because Peter is saying, they all got saved, and then they all received the power of the Holy Spirit. Which, again, Cornelius was not qualified to do that, according to the religious rules of the day. He couldn't be saved 
according to the religious rules of the day. He couldn't be filled with the Holy Spirit according to the religious rules of the day. Philip could not be called out into the wilderness according to the rules of the day. He could not preach to, um, to the Ethiopian according to the rules of the day. And he could not be transported to another location according to the physical laws of nature. But God does all that stuff. And he speaks. Guys, this is important. He speaks. He tells Paul, don't go to that city, but do go to this city. He speaks. I, 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 I think I've said this before, but years ago I was sitting out when I was graduating from um, uh, Denver Seminary with my master's. We're all sitting around. about uh, 15 of us sitting there about to go out on stage uh, to the graduation. We're sitting behind the stage in the graduation. Everybody just standing there talking. We've got, we have to be there like three or four hours because they got to do all the rehearsal. They got to practice the hooding and the doctorals and all this other stuff. And so we're just sitting there. And, uh, and all these guys are talking about what they're going to do next. Now, most of them were not like involved in, in um, like full-time ministry. They were doing some things on the side and ministering, but they were all going to be going to locations to, like churches and stuff like that. Well, I was already pastoring, so I'm just sitting and listening. And because uh, they're all talking about where they're going to go. And I was, you know, my answer was back home. I mean, I, you know, may go get a sandwich first, but I'm probably going to go back home. So, so I'm just sitting listening. And then finally, they're, they're all, they, they, they kind of uh, look toward me and say, okay, Scott, we want your opinion of this. And what that meant, it, it, if I was at different seminary for four years, what that meant was, you're the Pentecostal, tell us how they think. That's what, I mean, I... I would be in, I, I, they use me as, in debates uh, with different people and all kinds of, in fact, I just saw this this week, my professor at Denver Seminary is actually speaking at my um, alma mater, Southwestern, this week. A Baptist, conservative Baptist theologian is speaking at our Pentecostal seminary. I think it's cool. He's an amazing guy. He's a very solid intellectual, just powerful, um, but very not Pentecostal, very anti-Pentecostal. So, um, not in attitude, but in theology. He doesn't have a problem with Pentecostals. Just theologically thinks we're all wrong. But uh, so they're sitting around. They say, okay, Scott, tell us what you think about this. And uh, because the conversations they were having is, I'm going to go do, I'm going to work at this church. I want to work at this um, relief organization or something else. And so I asked them, I said, guys, do you believe that God has a place for you? Do you believe God has a location for you? Do you believe that's a possibility? And they said, well, I guess it's possible, but I just don't really think God does that. That was kind of the general consensus. I said, so, so let me ask you this. And I had been there for four years. This wasn't surprising. And, I, and I'm not being critical of their hearts. Their hearts and their attitudes are right. These are, these are some great people, okay? And I said, is there a possibility that God could actually lead you to a location? Now, the end of the conversation is I told them, I very strongly, God has a place for you. A specific place for you. And I believe the same thing for every one of us in this room. God has a place for you. He has the job for you. He has, and you say, well, that's just, that's just, too, um, that's just too convoluted. God, basically what we're saying is God's not big enough to do that. You know? And so they were saying, no, I, I don't think God has a place. I'm choosing this, and I'm asking God to bless it when I get there. All right? Now, again, I don't think you're sinning. I don't think you're missing you know, God's blessings or whatever, or, you know, I just think that God has a place for you. And, and when we really read scriptures that God is speaking, 
There is a specificity to it. God says to Paul, do not go to that city. Go to this city. Right? Okay. Now, when they're making decisions on a daily basis kind of thing, it was more like, it seems good to us in the Holy Spirit. This is the process of living out your life. But going somewhere? That, that, and we can see by the writings of Thomas, when Thomas went up in what we call the Silk Road right now, um, when Thomas went up there and established churches in that, he felt like God had called him to do that. That God had told him to do that. Hudson Taylor, one of the greatest missionaries ever, felt like God sent him to China specifically to start a printing press. Okay? Um, when, you, when you read like Philip, Philip was, do, was having this service and this revival and everything. He was doing God stuff. He was doing supernatural, anointed God stuff. And God said, but I have a specific location I need you to be right now. Head that direction. When you get out there, I'll make it all come together. But it would have been more natural for Philip to say, no, I'm doing what God is. I'm doing ministry stuff. I'm doing God stuff. And God's honoring it. And God's blessing it. Why would I leave that? Because God has specificity with us. And then the other side of it is when Philip was then uh, transported, he wasn't transported right back to the same place because God had what? A very specific location he wanted him to be. Now, how does that translate in our daily lives? Again, God wants to speak to you. And guys, I strongly believe this is everybody. Everybody. I was having this conversation with my son recently, talking about ministry and all this other kind of stuff, and, and he's talking about, um, um, my, my wife gives him a hard time all the time because she wants him to move here. She wants him to be our children's pastor. Actually, she just wants him to be here. She don't care what he's doing. As long as the grandbaby's here, whatever. He can work at McDonald's. I don't care. You know, just, and so she'll always throw out about children's pastor and stuff like that, and um, uh, he and I have talked about this a lot. It's more difficult for him to talk to Linda about these kind of things because they are the exact same. They are the same person. And within 15 seconds, they're irritated with each other. And just, you know, at each other, at each other. And so he, he talks to me about those kind of things. Once he's all worked out with me, then he'll sit down with his mother and talk about it because he's not thinking out loud, he's processed that, and now he's talking about, okay, here's the strengths or whatever. So, and that's where his mother comes into being able to discuss this with him. And so I said, okay, Jonathan, this is the thing. You've got to know what God has told you. That's the only thing that matters. What has God told you? Not where do you want to live. He wants to live in Colorado. He doesn't want to live in South Texas. Nobody wants to live in South Texas. <laughs> they have to. They're stuck there. They can't help it. They're trapped. He wants to live in Colorado. Um, he wants to work here. He's told me that. that. Dad would really much like to do that. I said, but when you pray, what does God tell you? He said, God tells me I'm supposed to be here. That's what you're supposed to do, is be there. I said, but and now here's another thing, is... How the Holy Spirit works in our life. I told you that uh, my wife has had this conversation. There's another a minister lady that I know that's had a very similar conversation. 
this is this is one of the things that we're seeing in um, this is this is kind of the trend for most um, most not all. There's some very solid people out there that are not like this. Okay, um, but most times when churches get to a certain size, Pentecostal charismatic type churches, they have to lose the Pentecostal distinctive. That's what they think. Why? Why do you think they think that? Well, I'm hearing words, but... Yeah, because we don't want to scare anybody off, and the Holy Spirit's kind of ooky sometimes. That's why people think about it. And I've had this conversation with so many, Assembly of God, not all Pentecostal, but even just, I mean, many others, but specifically Assemblies of God. They will say, and this is a conversation my wife had recently with a, with a pastor of a church that got larger and larger, and it's a mega church now in the Assemblies of God. And... Um, he basically said, well, we don't preach things about the Holy Spirit to the people in our church. She said, why not? He said, well, they may not be that receptive to it. So she said, but you believe you need the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, yes, I'm very Pentecostal. I believe I need this. So you need the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? He gave some reasons. She said, oh, the same reasons I need the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, why would you want to cheat your people out of that? Why would you want to cheat your people out of that? And I'm hearing her having, you know, she's telling me about the conversation. There's another pastor, uh, uh, pastor, well, she's a pastor. She's a pastor's wife. They're kind of co-pastors. She's having, the, she's like, they're tag team. Linda and this other lady are tag teaming on this pastor. And I was getting all pumped. I'm like, girl, you are so sexy to me right now. But just her going at it and just saying, okay, this is the way it is. You're saying to me that you see this as foundational to your spiritual walk. But you're not even going to preach it in your churches? You're not even going to bring it up? Well, it could turn people off. Guys, here's the reality for me, okay? At the end of the day, God has called you just like he's called me. God wants to empower you just like he's empowered me. He wants to use you, not just like, that's not the same terminology, but he wants to use you the same way he wants to use me, right? And this is the conversation I have with my son. As I said, part of the obligation for you as a minister is you take everybody in your church and you see how can I get them into doing ministry stuff, not just coming to my church. The, the, the American church is going to die if we don't lose this mentality. It's not about just getting people to your church. It's about God speaking to them. It's about the Holy Spirit using people, changing lives because of them, not changing lives because they bring them to us. Changing lives through you to other people. How can I see you do ministry? How can I utilize you beyond what you're doing right now? Whatever it is, whatever you're doing right now, how, my, my responsibility as a pastor is how can I take you and do something or help you do something um, bigger than you thought possible, grander, more empowered, stretching out there. This is one of the things that I, so we had a conversation um, Sunday night at my house. I don't think it was this last Sunday night. Was the journey this last Sunday night or was it Sunday before? I can't remember. My days all run together, but... Um, we had the journey recently, the last Sunday or the Sunday before, and uh, we had a crowd of people at the house, and, and uh, we were talking about this, talking about the power of the Holy Spirit, and, and, um, and just began to discuss. And one of the things that we discussed was 
uh, when we have a message in tongues interpretation in our service. And so I went back over the ones that we've had over, say, the last six or seven months. And every single one of those moments, somebody in that room said, yeah, God was speaking to me at that moment. I love that. I love that because I can't qualify that. How am I going to? It has nothing to do with me. But I love it when they say, God said this to me or God said. In fact, one of the conversations that we were having was, uh, and I had this Sunday night, and then uh, Trisha came in and talked to me sometime in the last two or three days, and, um, and we were having the same discussion. And she said, a few weeks ago, she said, I, I felt like God gave me a message, and I said that uh, as we were ending worship and praying. And I said, right, I remember that. And we had brought this up and talked about it Sunday night. And she said, okay, um, I felt like that when I finished with that, that we should have done something. We had just had this conversation Sunday night, and we had it again um, during our, um, our staff meeting Monday morning, is there are times when I feel like we're missing it. We're not, we're getting the message, we're doing that kind of thing, but we need to do something with it a little more proactively than we're doing. Now, that falls at my feet. But Trisha asked me that. She said, do you think we should have done something? I said, yes, we should have done something. She said, I didn't feel like I could because I wasn't like in charge of something. I said, okay. I said, that leaves it basically up to who's leading. I think, I think Shelby was leading worship that Sunday. I can't remember. It could have been Linda, but I think it was Shelby. So that basically falls at her feet, my feet, and ultimately at my feet, right? Because for that time frame of the service, uh, that we're the ones in charge, okay? And I told Trisha, I said, Trisha, as soon as that happened, I said, within 15 seconds of us transitioning, moving on, I said, I felt like the Holy Spirit told me you missed it. You, need, you, could have, you needed to do something. Well, I'm the pastor. I could still have. I could have stopped the service, and I, I can do that, right? I got that kind of power around here, <laughs> right? So here's the thing for me is why would we need to stop and do something with that at that moment? Any ideas? Yeah, the Holy Spirit was speaking to us right then. Shouldn't that be the moment? Because if we wait until like the next week, the, there may be people that were there then that aren't there then. Right? And so we were talking about that, and one of the, one of the uh, guys in, in the, uh, at the journey at my house said, you know, I really felt like that God told me that moment, that service, that I was supposed to give a message in tongues because... Uh, Trisha gave up and gave word of knowledge where we could frame it, or it could be what I would say would be the same concept as inter uh, interpretation, okay? Except there was no message in tongues. And he said, I really felt like God told me I was supposed to give the message in tongues. And then he's like, I missed it. I, you know, I shouldn't. And I told him, I said, first, don't beat yourself up with that. There's probably 15 other people in the room that had the same thing going on, and they didn't do any better with it than you did. So don't beat yourself up with it, okay? That's the first thing. But then what's the next step? Do the best you can to do it next time. You know what it feels like. You know what that moment is. So just do the best you can and say, next time I'm going to get it right. I said, just do it. Just do it. Well, then when Trisha came and talked to me, she said, I really waited and waited because I felt like somebody was supposed to give a message in tongues. So now I get to say to her, yeah, I know one of them. 
Because I just had the conversation a few days before. Yeah, one, uh, one person in our church said, I know God said that to me. And that was good confirmation for her. See, here's the way that the Holy Spirit is doing. He's doing this stuff all the time. I've said this many times, and guys, I want to push this into our world as much as I can. I really believe that God is telling many of us at different times to step out and do things like that. Pray for people, message in tongues, interpretation, all this other kind of stuff, gifts of healing, all this thing. God is doing that stuff with us, but we are, we are so trained to be scared of that stuff. And, and again, I lay that at the feet of the church. The church has, has 100 years ago, we, were, we had a very profound move of the Holy Spirit, and, th- and the Pentecostal church exploded and began moving across the world. As it's extended to the rest of the world, it's grown like crazy throughout the rest of the world, and in America, we've let it die out, and we've stifled it. I think there's a few basic things. One is, it, um, it's um, humanistic narcissism from church leadership that says, if I talk about it, I won't have a big church. Because for some reason, that's what we exist for in America. Have a big church. Okay? So we don't talk about it. Now, there are good guys out there. Um, Gateway Church in in Dallas, Morris. I've read his book. I've listened to his sermon. I believe he's right on about the Holy Spirit. Um, Craig Rochelle. I believe he's right on about the Holy Spirit. He he doesn't shy away from it. Okay? Says it. Gets out there and, and talks about it. Right? And there's other guys around the country. But for the most part, it's, that's the first thing, human, humanistic narcissism. Selfishness, just selfish. Right? Another reason is because uh, we're scared of it and we don't know what to do because it'll get out of control. That's one of the questions that came up Sunday night at my house is, well, what happens if this gets out of control? What, what, what happens? What, you answer that question. If somebody said that right now, what happens if it gets out of control? Mike, did you raise your hand? That's the first answer. We are nowhere near that. So, <laughs> okay, yes, and I wouldn't even I wouldn't even say the right way to say that would be put a stop to it. Although it could be it, but it's my responsibility at that point to deal with whatever that is. Okay, it may be put a stop to it, but it may just do some teaching, it may just do some instruction. Uh, some of that kind of thing. But it's not just my responsibility. It's my responsibility when I'm standing here in the middle of a corporate moment. Who else's responsibility is it? Board? Leaders? Um, but even when we go to 1 Corinthians 12, it actually goes across the board to every one of us in here. Doesn't it? Doesn't it say that we're all, we're all supposed to test the, the spirits? Is this the Holy Spirit or a different one? Okay? And the other option is not necessarily Satan. Okay? The Holy Spirit, or what could be some other options, not all the way, the way to Satan? Your spirit. Patty's spirit. So when we're having, you specifically say, God, is this the Holy Spirit or Patty's spirit? I need to know right now, Lord. <laughs> it's a human spirit. Guys, we're human beings. And we get ourselves caught up in this. God's been working on you all week about something. You're either really up about something, really down about something. Those things can guide and direct that. Coming to service, God's speaking, God's doing something. He's breaking you, and all of a sudden, you think this is for everybody else. And it's just something God's doing with you. And so you, you speak it out like it's for everybody else, and it wasn't. That doesn't mean you're demonic. It doesn't mean you've, you've quenched the Holy Spirit or, or attacked the Holy Spirit. Or, it just might mean you just had a personal moment that you made public. Okay? We all do that sometimes. 
My wife does that at the cash register at Walmart. She has a private inner moment that she begins to share with the register lady and everybody around. I'm like, you know, you could just be you right now. It doesn't have to be. So that's, that's, that's the Holy Spirit. It's, I think we demarcate this stuff too much. Well, it was either by the Holy Spirit or it was of the flesh. Guys, let's not be that critical. We're all of the flesh, even when we're of the Spirit. Okay, Tom? Yeah. Back when I was growing up in, in Pentecostal churches, we didn't feel like we had a legitimate service unless it got out of control. But interestingly, when I look back over some of that, some of it was just goofy craziness. It just was. It was just people being goofy. But really looking back over that, it wasn't as out of control as it seemed. You bring the average Presbyterian in, and they were assuming this was craziness. But looking back, it, it seemed to be pretty much the same kind of thing week after week. So it wasn't really out of, out of control as it would appear at first blush. Okay? God's actually doing some things. In fact, I would say that if you consistently go through Scripture, when God is speaking to people, oftentimes the moment is an out-of-their-control moment. Okay, It's not out of control for the Holy Spirit, but it's definitely out of control for them. Right? Now, I was taught, and I, I'm not trying to be critical when I say this, but I didn't realize at the time, but I was taught as a child. Okay, I started playing musical instruments at five years old in church. Okay? So usually the Pentecostal-type services were Sunday night, which is interesting because they didn't have it Sunday morning as much as they did Sunday night, which lets you know people are involved in these decisions. You know? so, so at the end of the service, the pastor had been preaching, we're going to have a prayer time, altar time, whatever the case is. If, if, you know, people started exciting and raising their hands or dancing around or doing or whatever the case is, um, I would watch my dad, and my dad would head up to the instruments, because he played an instrument too, uh, two or three different instruments. And he would head up toward the instruments, so I would follow him up there to, to play whatever instrument I was playing. My dad will admit this. I'm not saying something outside the scope of, of who he is. If he was sitting right here, he would say this. The reason he did that is because he was much more comfortable sitting behind a guitar than he was everything that was going on out there. And I was trained that way. There was a few times when I would actually, well, many times, when I would get involved in the altar time or whatever, and I wouldn't go up and play the instrument. And those are some of the times when I look back on it. In fact, one of those times is when I was called to ministry at eight years old. My dad had an, a musical instrument, but we all have things that we do that keep us from really listening to the Holy Spirit because it does get outside of our control. When the Holy Spirit really starts speaking to you, it's very rarely, hey, you're doing a good job, just keep doing what you're doing. I, I would say this, show me one place in the Bible where that's the message God gave to them. You're doing good, keep her up. Right? When God begins to speak, things change. We're convicted. We do things. We go places. There's a lot of stuff when God begins to speak. We repent. There's all kinds of things. 
But, and this is why I'm, I'm a little hesitant when I hear a message like that. Um, God thinks you're just doing a great job. Just keep it going. Okay. I mean, I'm not saying that's outside of God's scope. God's an edifying God. He, he took Enoch when he did it. Yeah. So you might want to include that in it. But, I mean, God does say things to us at different times in Scripture where he says, um, you're, you're my people, I'm your God. But then there's almost always, and I'm saying almost always because I can't think of a time when there's not, and, and also do this. Even the book of Revelation when he says, you guys are doing really good. Some of the churches, he said, you're doing really good. But... Here's some things to work on. Why? Max Lucado is the first person that I know that said this. He said, the Holy Spirit is willing to take you just like you are, but he's not willing for you to stay that way. Ever. He doesn't want you to stay where you are. Mentally, spiritually, he doesn't want you to stay there. He wants to push you. He's always going to want to push you. Okay? So, uh, let's end here. Um, next week, we'll be talking about the vision and all that kind of stuff. Hopefully, everybody's here. Um, and then the week after that, I'm going to try to come back to some of the more of the ways the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Because we haven't even gotten into how he does it. We just got to some examples in Scripture, right? For example, through peace of the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God. There's a bunch of ways that he does this that are actually described in Scripture. We're going to go through those. Seven that I know for sure. Seven ways that the Holy Spirit speaks to us. So, how do you think we should pray? Let me ask it differently tonight than I normally do. As, as the pastor, how do you think I pray about this? With everything that we've talked about, as, as the pastor, how do you think I pray about this subject? I want the Holy Spirit to speak to you. That's why I pray about this. And I want Him to use you, every single one of us. Um, teenagers, kids, I want God to use you. Even if somebody else doesn't think, well, that kid's too young, they should. I don't. Let the Holy Spirit decide that. Let's let the Holy Spirit decide. If, if I pray for Christine and Nikki, I'm going to pray, Lord, use them. Even if Nikki doesn't think Christine should be used or Christine doesn't think Nikki should be used. Right? We say, Holy Spirit, you make that decision. We're not going to let Christine hold Nikki back. <laughs> um, so we say, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Tom? Remember what I said two weeks ago, um, there will be resistance to God doing things from the inside and from the outside. 
there will be resistance. You can take that in a people group. You can take it in yourself. There will be resistance from the outside, and there will be resistance from inside. Okay? So we pray, Lord, use us. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for you and your spirit. Lord, we, we look in your word, and we see that you speak to people. That's who you are. It's, it's not what you do. It's who you are. You speak to people. And God, you speak to all different kinds of people. And you speak to men and women, young and old. And so, Lord, we ask you to to help us to see that for ourselves, for us right now. And I pray that for every person in this room, Lord, that you would that you if that you would reveal to us that you do want to speak. And God, wherever we are with this, if we're already convinced, then God help us to see that you want to speak more. You want to speak differently. You want to speak bigger, or or whatever. God, you you show us. But Lord, help us right now, every one of us, help us to be open to listening to what you're trying to say, that, we, that we'll hear it. And God, one part of this is just in our church services, Lord, we want to hear that. But God, I believe it's so much more than that, that you want to speak. Help us to hear, help us to hear what you're saying right now. God, we thank you. We thank you because you are you're truly big and you, you've got a plan that is so grand and, and detailed and specific and and God that you created every single tiny cell in our body to show how very intentional and specific you can be. Help us to see that, that you have a place and a moment and times and, and where we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be saying and what we're supposed to be doing. And so God, help us to, to see that, grab onto it. God, at our places at work that you 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 cause Divine, divinely appointed moments uh, that are very specific to, to have us to minister and speak and whatever with people. And so, God, we ask you to help us to see it. God, I pray that every single person in our church can be used by you in so many just amazingly powerful ways. In the regular routine of life and then just big moments too. God, we thank you for this. Use us and make us who you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you don't have to go home. She can't stay here. Actually, you can stay here. I won't know, I'll leave. <laughs>